ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have mini episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Well, it's the Books of the Year. Uh, another episode has dropped, and we're still with Tom Bradby. Uh, Yesterday's Spy is his uh, brand-new novel set, well, a lot of it, most of it set in uh, the Iranian coup of 1953. Check back on the other podcast uh, for Tom's uh, account about how he came to, to write that story. Quite an amazing story about how you came to write the story, uh, as uh, as we learned there. But on the Q&A then, Tom, here we go. Question number one. What was the last book you really, really enjoyed? I think this question was here last time. But anyway, it's a good old favorite. What was the last one you really, really enjoyed? I'm going to pick Boy Swallows Universe, which is an Australian novel. It was just by a guy called Trent Dalton. It was, we, we went to Australia pre-pandemic. Someone gave me a copy of it. And I read it and I just thought it was so fresh. The, vi- the writing was so vibrant. It's a kind of about a young boy growing up in Brisbane, surrounded by kind of drug dealing. But it's just brilliantly, brilliantly written. And I absolutely loved it. I really enjoyed Crawdads as well, which I read just after that. I really enjoyed your novel too, Knife Edge, but I'm probably not allowed to talk about that because it's too weird. But oh, I did. I'm going to say I did. I it was bet. sharp. It was, uh, so that's probably going to be ruled out of order, but I did, I did really enjoy that. And I've got to say that I'm going to, the reason I'm shoehorning it in here is because I generally don't like reading thrillers by other people. And I don't know why that is. I think it's just like, you see the cracks too much maybe, or you see, I don't know, you're maybe viewing it from a wrong, from a perspective that isn't about pure enjoyment, but I did enjoy that. It's not like being on the radio. We can actually, uh... I can ask you to say more about how great knife <laughs> edge. Oh, I, I, I'm happy to keep well, going for a bit because um, I'll tell you another thing. I'll tell you another thing that uh, that um, that I liked about it. Uh, okay, I'm going to be completely honest about thrillers now. Um, I think what often happens with a thriller is that you start reading and you think, "Oh, this is a really good idea," and you think, "Okay, my real fear here is that the writer had a great idea and then." didn't know how to close it out and got a bit lost two thirds of the way through, you know, you come home, your next door neighbor's missing. Oh, that's exciting. And that's intriguing. What happened to them? And then you get two thirds of the way through and you think, well, you didn't, you didn't know what happened to them. (laughs) It was a great idea, but it's not going anywhere now. And now it's getting really ludicrous. So I, I like I like Knife Edge because it made sense all the way through and that doesn't always happen with the thriller. So it was really, really enjoyable for that. I like Tom Bradby. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, Matt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fun, funnily enough, Tom's going to get invited back, isn't he? Um, yeah. Let's let's talk uh, autobiographies then, Tom. Um, I'm currently in the process of reading uh, a lot of sport books for the for the sports book of the year. There are a lot of autobiographies in there. There's some great ones. There's frankly some score settling, self serving ones as well. But uh, let's talk about the diamonds. Which what would be your favourite memoir or autobiography? I'm going to pick a, a couple. One, because it's an old classic that I so loved, David Niven, The Moon's a Balloon. I just, you oh, know, yeah. don't know how much it would hold up to scrutiny now, but it was just, it really made me laugh. And I just remember, I think it was the first sort of memoir slash autobiography that I that I ever read. And I think I listened to it on audiobook, actually, uh, at some point. And it's just, it was just so well done. So I sort of would pick that to a degree. But the one I'm mainly going to pick which I'm not even sure it counts as a memoir. On the other pod, I talked a little bit about Vietnam. I was really obsessed, still am, by the Vietnam War, and actually particularly by the CIA's kind of track record in Vietnam, which I spent a lot of time studying as per our previous discussion. And there was a brilliant memoir written by a guy called Frank Snepp, who worked in the Saigon embassy for the CIA, as Saigon fell, he was there, sent back for the last couple of years. And it's just such a brilliant account of this extraordinary period in history where South Vietnam is moving towards collapse and collapsing. And part of it is about his relationship with the ambassador, Graham Martin. Graham Martin lost a son in Vietnam. And just it seems certainly in Frank Snepp's telling, he can't accept that it's over. That, it's, that this ship is going down and he's got to make some decisions about all the people who work for the CIA and all these other American agencies. And it's just, it's just I found it such a fascinating account of what it's like to effectively be a bureaucrat, because Snep was a senior analyst for the CIA, trying to live through this utter chaos and ending in this cataclysmic event when South Vietnam collapses and people are literally hanging off of helicopters and jumping into the sea to try and get to ships. And it's very, it's very, very dramatic and it's very forensic and it's, it's, it's really one of the best of its type I've ever read. So that's my memoir of choice. I think I know the answer to this question, but uh, question three, Tom, is who is your favourite thriller writer? And I'm oh, thinking... Yeah. It's, uh, Simon Mayer. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm thinking it's... I'm thi- my prediction is you're going to say Len Dayton. You're right. Yeah. I would, I would pick a couple of names around it. Partly, I think, from the period where I was first writing thrillers and I was really looking around and reading heavily to, to kind of get a sense of what I, you know, what I wanted to produce. And I think of books like Presumed Innocent by Scott Turow, which is a, you know, about a prosecutor in a city that's never named, but you kind of identify it as Chicago, uh, who is accused of murdering the woman that he had an affair with, who also worked in the prosecutor's office. So on one level, it's a brilliant human story, a crime drama, but it's also weaves in the politics of the city so brilliantly, and it's beautifully written too. You know, so I, for a long time, I was a bit obsessed by that. Silence of the Lambs, which I think is structurally probably the best thriller ever written. You know, the way it creates this extraordinarily well put together story that just increases the tension around the relationship between Clary Starling, the, this young FBI agent, and Hannibal Lecter, who we all probably remember from the, the film and the book. That's brilliantly done. And then there's 
things like Gorky Park, which I love for its atmosphere. But if I had to pick one writer, I would pick Len. I think Berlin Game is just the sublime classic of all spy novels for the way it's just a fantastic story as per our previous discussion and ending that really doesn't disappoint, that feels authentic and brilliant. And just the way it recreates the sort of gloomy, grey, mean streets of Berlin is so beautifully wrought. And he's a wonderful writer, actually, in prose terms as well, I think, Len, much underrated in that regard. So if we were to be looking through your shelves, your bookshelves, um, Tom, what would we see other than Len Dayton and Simon Mayer? What else would we see on your bookshelves? (laughs) You'd see so damn many of them. You'd see an awful lot of my books, you know, various translations. My kids think it's really weird. Why do you want to keep all your books? I'm like, what What else am I going to do? Burn them? I mean, so, um, you know, you know, you know, when you, well, all, all authors know when you, when you, you have a book out, you go a bit crazy and you think, oh, I'm going to give lots of copies away and you order lots of copies and then you get left with some. And then you have kind of, you know, you have the Polish edition or the German edition or the Japanese edition, uh, which I had for Shadow Dancer. Yeah, my first novel was the only one I got published in Japan. But, you know, these these are things you really want to have, not give away. Plus, I don't know many Japanese people to be fair to give it away to. So I haven't I do have a (laughs) distressingly large number of my own books, including my favorite, my number one favorite. When Shadow Dance, my first novel was published in Germany, I got it through. I got the German edition. It's called Schattentanzer in German. And the cover, it has Tom Brady and... The publishers were mortified and they were so embarrassed and everything else. And I I was Asia correspondent for ITM for a bit. And the BBC Asia correspondent was Matt Fright, who became a really good friend of mine uh, and my wife and he and his wife, Penny. And they came around to dinner a lot. And one day Matt is looking through my shelf and obviously Matt is German by origin. And he picks out this book. And he just thought it was the funniest thing he'd ever seen in his life. And thereafter, whenever we kind of met each other around Asia, we'd kind of see each other in the middle of a riot in Jakarta and he'd say, ah, Tom Brady, Shattentenser, and laugh for about a minute. Um, so, yeah, that's what's on my bookshelf. I've got lots of other books, to be fair, too. Lots and lots of history books, lots of thrillers by lots of writers, lots of novels of all descriptions, but mainly just bookshelves everywhere. That's what I'd say. Is, is there a book, this is a weird question, really, but sometimes it turns an interesting answer. Is there a, a, a book you'd like to step inside of just for a very limited period of time? You know, you're allowed to come out of it again, but just, I don't know, is, is there a book that jumps out here? I'm going to pick a really weird choice, I think, which is the Tintin books. And I say that because I still really believe in journalism. I love journalism. I love writing. You know, I'm 10 novels and a few films and there, the like in... So hopefully, you know, I feel like with any luck, people are beginning to hopefully take me seriously as a writer because I have been passionate about it for decades. But that's not to say that I've always wanted to do both. And I really still love journalism and I really believe in journalism. And I think if anything, the whole business of holding the powerful to account and trying to establish in some reasonable way what truth is feels more important than ever. And I just love the world of Tintin because it's so simple. Well, he... He discovers things and he reports them, although he never he never noticeably writes anything, you know. <laughs> no. But anyway, let's, let's gloss over that. But he finds the story and he tells the story and the world changes. And that's a that's something to inspire any journalist, I think. 
How many books are you getting through a month? I mean, sometimes this varies, doesn't it, depending on uh, what time of year it is. But how many normally would you get through in a month, Tom? Not many, because I spend a lot of time writing and re reading things for my writing, like, you know, books I'm researching, you know, obviously with Iran, I, I read a lot of books about that. And so I, I relatively, re if I go on holiday, I will take a whole bunch of books um, with me. I've just uh, about to go on holiday soon, actually. And I've got a book by a colleague of ours, Jonathan Friedland, about this guy who escaped yeah. uh, from a concentration camp and told the world about it. And I've just started that and it's great. And I'm excited, really excited to read that. But I don't, I don't. And so when I go on holiday, I tend to load up. You know, I, I always seem to have the latest book about Trump because I can never quite read enough about the Trump White House for all its extraordinariness. And so I usually take a whole suitcase full of books, you know, a whole lot of history books, some current affairs books and some novels. And I read a lot on holiday, but the rest of the time I don't read as much as I would like. And we hope to have Jonathan Freeland uh, on this podcast uh, when that book comes out. How long do you give a book? You've probably answered this question before, Tom, but, and again, this might depend on what kind of mood you're in, I suppose, or whether you're on holiday, but when you have started a book, how long do you give it before you think, you know what, I've got better things to do? About 70 pages or 100. I tried to get through to 100 pages because sometimes, like I mentioned crawdads earlier, I actually didn't enjoy that very much for the first 50 pages. But by the time I I sort of kept going and I really loved it, and by the time I got to the end, I thought it was a sublime uh, piece of fiction that, you know, really totally didn't, its success didn't surprise me at all. But I didn't really, I didn't really get into it for 50 pages. So I try, I try and give it a bit of time. But like if I've got to page 100 and it's not doing it for me, I generally, you know, life's too short. Yeah. Are there any books that stand out from your childhood? I mean, I'm guessing that Tintin must have been something that made an impression early on, but <laughs> any others? Apart from the obvious ones like Lord of the Rings, the one I would slightly weirdly pick, uh, pick is Poldark. I just thought, and, you know, obviously Len Dayton we've talked about, I guess that was kind of slightly later. One of the first books I just remember romping through book after book after book was the Poldark series. And I've had a lifelong love of Cornwall. And I think that's probably why it's just an amazing soap opera, brilliantly told, and it's got everything. I'm not surprised the latest TV series was um, such a success. Uh, although poor old Aidan Turner was mobbed. I had to do a, a TV event at the radio. My wife is also a massive fan of Poldark. And I had to do some event uh, at the Radio Times TV festival about the crown. And anyway, I said to the organizers, oh, I don't suppose you've got anything about Poldark. And they said, oh, actually we do. And they gave me some tickets and I went along. And I must say there were about 800 people in the theater. I think there were three blokes of which I was one. <laughs> and I said to my wife, I said, you see, you see, this is where this goes. This is this obsession with Poldark. And you know, and then there were some of the questions and people wanted to come up and hug him. And he was so charming, but I thought, yeah. Yeah. And uh, is there is there a book or an author, Tom, who you turn to if you need cheering up that is a, a reliable old faithful? I mean, it's so of a different time, but there's, a you know, a bit of Jeeves and P.G. Woodhouse. It's so silly and so absurd and so escapist. So I tend to go to that or something that amuses me. We, we had a long. We had a family holiday when the kids were sort of in their mid to late teens 
that involved a lot of driving and we listened to Michael McIntyre's autobiography and it just made us laugh all the way around. It was so charming and it was really funny. So I, I tend to reach for things if I need a bit of joy in my life that are going to make me laugh, whether it's book or TV. I've just, you know, I was watching something after news at 10 to wind down and I've just decided to rewatch Seinfeld um, and just forget how, damn funny it, it, it was and actually I he published a book which someone gave me for Christmas which was just his you know his sketches basically written out and it really just made me laugh you know it's so witty so yeah I tend to reach for something that's going to make me laugh if I need a bit of cheering up uh, if you want to hear Tom talk about his brand new uh, novel, which is called Yesterday's Spy, you can find that podcast where you got this podcast uh, from. Uh, and we should have said in that chat, Tom, that Yesterday's Spy, I think, is a standalone thriller, which means you're going where next? What's the next thing we're going to see? From it you? certainly is a standalone thriller, so it's not related to anything else. I, I'm in the business of writing, and I think I sometimes do start a couple of books and end up finishing one before the other but I'm at the moment quite well into a novel about Colombia about a young man who has grown up in exile from his father's criminal empire determined never ever for all the obvious reasons to get dragged into it and his father gets sick and then dies and he finds himself dragged into it it's the godfather set in Colombia, I guess you would say. Um, <laughs> you know, so certainly that's part of the inspiration. So, yeah, he's somebody who's been brought up in Britain and ends up being dragged back into it. Uh, Tom Bradby, as ever, thank you very much indeed for your time. It was, as ever, an absolute pleasure, Simon. Thanks so much. And Matt, thanks for <laughs> chatting. It's been great. Thank Let's you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have many episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.